Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions in live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Austin Durfeld, Extension Educator and Ag Economist for the Southeast Region and Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Thanks for joining us today. This series of webinars is produced by our Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team and usually runs every Thursday at noon. Find recordings and a schedule of upcoming webinars at farm.unl.edu. Presenting today is Tina Barrett of Farm financial consultant and director at Nebraska Farm Business Incorporated, which provides financial analysis, business planning, and tax services to over 400 farm and ranch businesses across the state. She will be reviewing recent updates to tax law that are important for farmers and ranchers to be aware of as they prepare to file, including the many new considerations under the CARES Act. Tina, thanks for being here with us. I'll turn it over to you. Sounds good. All right. Um, we'll get started here on, on such a fun topic um, on a Thursday afternoon, but uh, it certainly has been a very busy year um, in, in with all the changes, all the program um, payments that have been made out. So there's lots to cover, lots to talk about. So um, we'll get through that. Um, for those of you that don't um, don't know me, I work, um, I'm the director at Nebraska Farm Business. We're a an accounting uh, firm. We do taxes, uh, tax management, uh, cash flow, business planning, those kinds of things, as well as the financial analysis. So if you've ever heard me talk about, um, you know, the averages um, that we're seeing amongst our states, that, that's where those programs are coming from. So we just work with farmers in all across Nebraska um, in a kind of full range of, of their financial management. And uh, that's why I, I get to have the fun job of knowing these things. So, um, okay, so this is kind of where we're gonna start off. We're gonna talk a little bit about PPPs. We're gonna go through some of those government payments and how they're gonna be taxed. Um, a couple changes on the net operating loss and retirement things that changed in the CARES Act, as well as um, just a quick note on charitable and the employer credits. And then there's just a few random things that really weren't necessarily changes, um, but things that I think are important uh, farmers think about this year that maybe are a little different. So let's start with that ever popular PPP program. My uh, uh, daughters uh, are, we spend enough time at the dinner table talking about this that they're they're also like tired of hearing about it. And uh, I'm kind of with them, but we're gonna start with a poll. And so Austin's going to throw into the chat box um, the link up there, but you can go to any browser if you want to and put in that pollev.com um, website. We're going to make this interactive today because I want to find out where everybody's at and um, and kind of get a feel for for where we're what we need to talk about some too. Um, or you can text. You can text to the the number you text to is the two two three three three, and then you. Um, text that Tina Barrett 204, and then you can text um, your answer in. So either way you wanna respond, um, feel free to do that. We'll give everybody a minute here to, to do this and then we'll uh, check out the results live. So don't answer in the chat box. Try and go to, uh, there we go, to the website and then you can respond. And yep, we can see those responses starting to come in now. So 
So there, we've got that uh, whole or that that uh, link right there in the chat box. You can go to the chat box, click on the link, and then you can put your um, answer in here. Starting to get those PPP responses. This was something that, um, you know, from starting uh, the end of March, um, clear through July seemed to be a topic of conversation um, for just about everybody. So let me give you um, why you're answering. For those who don't um, know about this program, this was part of the CARES Act. So that was the, the major, there were three stimulus packages passed right fairly quickly there in March. Um, this was the big one. Um, and so what this did was allowed people, um, businesses to apply for this loan through the Small Business Administration and, um, uh, and get um, funding that really the idea was to help people continue with their payroll so that we wouldn't be laying people off. So it was based off of 2019's um, income and wage expenses. And then, um, and then we got that as a loan and then we had to go through a forgiveness. And so we'll go through that, but I'm not seeing very many responses coming in now. So really most people here didn't apply. We got about a third that did, um, uh, several that uh, don't own the business that, um, that would have been eligible. So, uh, so we got those results there. Let me uh, click through here. So. Like I said, this was a, a program that went through SBA and there was a lot of confusion because it went through the SBA, whether or not farmers qualified at first, um, but we got through that, um, got through all that. So I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on that application process just because it is closed. Um, August 8th was the last date that you could um, apply for one of these loans. Um, as I was going through here and with some looking at things, I went up and pulled some slides from um, an SBA presentation um, because I just think it's interesting that as we look at this, there was actually 5.2 million loans made. Um, and the, this was a, a slide showing how many lenders were involved in that. Um, and so the, the size the, down there was those uh, large um, lenders um, really didn't do, they did a lot of, of um, loans, but the, the largest volume was really done by small or small banks. Um, Few more statistics, Nebraska had 44,000 of these loans um, and for a little over uh, $3 billion, um, lots, of, lots of dollars going out. Um, also interesting, especially as we talk about what is happening in Washington right now and the discussions that are having, um, most of these loans were for small dollar amounts. Uh, so we heard about some of the big ones, you know, with um, the Lakers and, the, and a few other companies like that who qualified, but um, you could have quite a bit of payroll and be a really a, a fairly sizable business and still qualify for this. But if you look at that, almost 70% of the loans are under $50,000. And if we include the ones under 100, you know, we're talking about for sure the, the large majority. So one of the things that they're discussing in Washington right now is some automatic forgiveness for those um, and as much for um, just simplicity and compliance and, and lowering SBA's um, workload. Last statistic I'll show you, share with you again, I just like to have statistics. So, uh, but agriculture uh, pulled about 150,000 loans. Um, so again, this was um, not just farmers. And again, we thought for a while that farmers weren't gonna qualify and or there was a lot of confusion there. Um, but uh, but we certainly do, and and took um, you know about uh, one and a half percent of the loans went to agriculture. So okay, couple more things. Like I said, that application was based off of two and a half uh, months wages from 2019, or two and a half months of self-employed earnings. Uh, it was a one percent loan for two years if you applied um, under the first funding and it's five years for the second funding. So depending on what date your loan is, you have those terms. Um, you have a covered period. That was the eight weeks after your funding arrived or 24 weeks if you made that election. Again, that was something that changed in June. 
Um, and we'll, it's an important, as we will go through this, that we understand that those are options for everybody. The five-year loan terms were, is only for those who applied after in that last bunch, after it was, it was like June 20th, something like that. Um, but the eight or 24 weeks can go for anybody. Um, qualified expenses, we're going to include wages. That includes retirement and healthcare costs, um, as well as utilities, rent, and mortgage interest. Um, originally, it was set up that the forgiveness had to have 70% come from payroll, and they changed that. Sorry, there's my date. I knew I put it in there somewhere. July 4th was when that was actually signed. So they moved that from 70% from of payroll to 60. So again, things, things were changing so quickly all summer long, that it's hard to keep up. And then the other thing that, uh, that a lot of people don't know is that you actually have 10 months from the end of your covered period to apply for forgiveness. So this puts us long into next year for those who have a 24 week covered period um, that again, that puts us probably into at least August of next year before you need to apply for forgiveness or before um, payment would be due on that loan. Okay. So again, this is a loan that was designed to be forgiven. So we're gonna, um, most of these loans are gonna be forgiven. That's what I'm gonna talk about as the tax issues of that for this fall. Um, so let me just go through a few things here because Congress said, in the CARES Act that this PPP loan, when it was forgiven, was to be tax-free. Um, and so we were pretty excited about that. Um, but IRS came out um, May 5th and kind of put a damper on our, on our uh, parade a little bit there and um, said that, that um, they can't override Congress's choice that that's tax-free income. But they did say that any expenses that you used to get forgiveness then would not eligible for um, a deduction, which essentially means that your loan forgiveness is taxable because it doesn't matter if we include the income, include the forgiveness and in income or disallow the expenses, either way, we're not getting, it's not tax-free. Um, and so we had a, a plan early on then that we thought, um, okay, we're gonna wait because Congress has said from both uh, sides, both parties say that we meant this to be tax-free and they're going to they're planning on taking action to basically override IRS and say no we meant this to be a tax free you can still have those deductions um obviously nothing has happened in the last seven months um as far as getting that part um included so we're still waiting uh, we still think that that next stimulus package will have that language in it um so our plan had been to wait for forgiveness until 2021 and then go ahead and deduct those costs this year. And then when then we have to deal with the forgiveness next year, but we have then you know a good 14 months from the time you applied for forgiveness until we have to file that 2021 tax return. So we thought we had it all figured out. And then IRS came out on the 18th of November and said that um, if you reasonably expect to have your loan forgiven, even if it's gonna happen in the following year, that you can't deduct those costs in 2020. Okay, so that really threw us for a loop, but it, it's really a hard thing to understand. And I, I think um, most tax professionals feel that that's pretty shaky uh, reasoning that they have for doing that. Cause it, it wouldn't, as a cash basis taxpayer, it would be normal that um, you have these expenses today. We don't have forgiveness in this tax year. So that's not income until next year. So it would be similar to um, going out and prepaying some seed this fall and taking a deduction for that. And then even next February, your, your planting decisions change and you end up returning some of that seed and going either with a different company or you maybe you, you know, got a completely different crop. Um, that seed is still fully deductible when you write that check in December. We just have an income issue or an expense reduction in 21. That was the theory that we kind of thought we had. Um, so anyway, now, our plan is, um, as most things, is just to pull our hair out. This is where we're going to go. So uh, we've got some ideas uh, that you can uh, pass on to your tax preparer, um, but we'll go through a few of these. We can, so we've just been scratching things off and, and changing our plans. But um, what we're at least going to do is exclude those expenses from our tax planning. Um, that basically follows IRS's guidelines. Um, the other option that you could do um, is, is file that tax return um, the way we think 
it should be done by allowing those expenses if you don't have forgiveness in this year. Um, but in order to avoid um, preparer penalties, as well as penalties um, on uh, your part as a taxpayer, um, you would need to attach a statement to the IRS to your tax return saying, hey, IRS, we don't agree with um, what you said. And so we filed the tax return the way we think it should be done. Um, I just don't really care for um, telling the IRS that, uh, that we did it different than what they told us to. It feels to me like it would be a little bit of an audit risk. Um, and I don't like that plan. So, um, but it is an option and that you, that you can take. Um, so what we're, we're thinking we're gonna do is exclude those expenses from our tax planning um, because that puts us on the side of if we're wrong, our tax bill is gonna be less than what we thought. So I'd rather usually do it that way than be higher. Um, and then we're trying to put in backup plans wherever we can so that we have the ability to change that um, if and when Congress clarifies their position. Okay, so some of the things we can do, um, the, what I'm thinking is probably the most, the best option for, for most producers is to, is to get a deferred payment contract in place that is about the same amount as your PPP loan. Um, what that allows us to do is, is you're gonna sign that deferred payment contract that says you're not getting income until January 2nd. Um, but those deferred payment contracts are written as installment sales. So we have the option um, under the tax code to just, uh, if we want to recognize the income from a installment sale, we can elect out of that by just recognizing the income. So we could make that decision um, later on that if Congress says we get to have those expenses that we planned on disallowing, then we pull that contract in and we end up in the same spot that we were. Um, we can also use depreciation to make those adjustments. So um, if we um, end up having more deductions than we thought, we can back off how much 179 we were going to use. The downside to that is that ends up being a choice that we're spending those costs over seven years, uh, where the deferred payment contract allows us to make that adjustment in 21, and so a little faster. Um, we could also do things like, uh, if we had planned on doing a traditional IRA, uh, we could switch that to doing a Roth IRA and get in our income back up that way. But but once we get to the first of the year, it's harder to make those adjustments. But those are some things that we can think about. Um, and another thing you can think about here, and I'll talk about it a little bit more in detail towards the end, um, but you might think about filing an estimate by January 15th to give us more time to wait on Congress. And that will... Um, allow us to wait until April 15th to pay the remainder amount and file. Because um, one thing that, that really kind of scares me is if they wait until March to make this clarification or even late February, that we'll have a lot of tax returns filed and then we'll have to amend to make them right. So I don't want to do that. Okay, um, quickly, I'm going to run out of time and then um, so many things to talk about. For the self-employed individuals, as you think about forgiveness, one thing I think that you want to make sure is that we want to choose that 24-week forgiveness period. We can go through the math, but um, essentially, when you're self-employed, we don't have um, any expenses to disallow, right? So this is actually because we don't get to deduct payment to ourselves as a self-employed person. So there's no dis or deduction to disallow. So for the self-employed, we really truly do have a tax-free forgiveness of this loan because we don't have to include it in the income. Um, we're gonna have, um, we can get maximum forgiveness strictly on re income replacement if you choose the 24 week. Um, if you choose the eight weeks, you're gonna be limited to only 16,000. And this is again, if you had $100,000 of profit, which was the max. Um, and you're gonna have to choose to get the rest of the remaining um, part of your loan forgiven with expenses. And then we're back to being disallowed. So if you're self-employed, just make sure you file your, your application as a 24 week covered period, take it all as income replacement or you know wages, however you want to, however they classify that. And you will have a, a strictly tax-free um, forgiveness there. On the employer side, you can choose either the eight week or the 24. There's really no difference as long as you have enough expenses in either one um, to get those forgiven. 
Um, we're going to exclude that PPP amount for, from expenses. Again, that's again our best strategy at this point um, as we wait on, on Washington to get something more clarified to us. Um, we are going to report that as a negative miscellaneous expense on the tax return. We don't want to reduce wages uh, because that could reduce your 199A deduction. And again, that's a whole nother uh, hour-long discussion of that, but we could have some negative effects there. And also, if you reduce your expenses, you're not going to have true costs. And then when we come to management, um, we're going to have some problems there. The only thing from an employer standpoint, as far as strategy for forgiveness to think about, is if you did have a reduction in employees. So if you if your full-time equivalents reduced uh, from the during your covered period, uh, you might want to look at either the eight-week or the 24 and see if you can get that um, replaced because there will be a reduction in what you can get forgiven if you reduced your employees. And there are those individuals who will both who will be self-employed and have employees. So we're gonna have to split that loan. Um, it's gonna be, I think my strategy will be to ask for those forgiveness papers to be um, just part of the tax documents that you bring in um, because we're gonna need to know how much of that was income replacement and how much of it was reduced expenses. Um, again, I did just a little math um, and you can look at the, uh, Ryan's got these slides for everyone um, to have, but um, there is a big difference in this tax-free status. So I just did, again, a, a max loan on 100,000. If you're um, a C corporation and you have to reduce those expenses, it's going to be a, a tax impact of about $5,800 um, versus a self-employed person getting the exact same money um, and not having to pay taxes on it. And if you are self-employed and you have employees, um, we're talking about an even bigger difference. I mean, almost half of that could be gone in taxes. Um, so it's certainly a very different treatment um, and we need to pay attention to how that's gonna be handled. And hopefully Congress answers our questions sooner rather than later. Okay. Um, the other thing that we got to pay attention to um, when we're talking about PPPs and how we're recording this in your books is if you got an idle advance. So there was another program um, inside the CARES Act that they authorized to use the economic injury disaster loans, um, and those were opened up to farmers, um, and that included a $1,000 advance per employee. So you could get up to $10,000 in this advance. Um, if you took the idle loan before you took your PPP, then they reduce your PPP by your idle advance and you don't have anything to worry about. But a lot of people took the idle after their PPP because that was something that, you know, as we, again, we were trying to figure out how this affected in farmers, it took a little bit longer. So if you did that on your PPP forgiveness application, um, then, um, then they're going to reduce that. So if you got a $10,000 PPP and a $2,000 idle advance, the most you can have forgiven is $8,000. Okay. Uh, we do know definitively that the idle advance is taxable income. So we don't want to have that idle advance in taxable income and then have you reduce your expenses by all of the PPP funds, including what wouldn't be forgiven. Um, so we don't double up. Okay. So the only thing worse than the PPP's expenses being disallowed would be to pay tax on them twice. So just be real careful if you did both of those things. Um, again, I'm gonna leave this that you can review um, in the slides just because I think there's other things that we can talk about that are more important um, and, and we can keep going. But this is just some tips on how to actually put this into your accounting uh, reports. But I think the most important thing is that this is separately stated so that your tax preparer can easily identify what is PPP um, and have them uh, available for them, your forgiveness application so that they can uh, uh, distinctly be aware the difference between that income replacement for the self-employed and what was done as um, a reduction that will have to reduce expenses again, as long as until Congress clarifies. Probably heard a lot about potential PPP two um, that it seems a little less likely now than it did a few months ago. Um, not so much talk about this, but there is $134 billion that was authorized that never got spent. Okay, so in that second authorization of that, so there is talk that they could open that back up 
Um, it might be more targeted to specific industries. Um, but one thing to watch for that, because it could be interesting, is in the HEALS Act, which the, the Senate passed, but the House did not this summer. Um, they actually flipped it a little bit for farmers only to be able to look at gross income instead of net income, because we had a lot of producers who had negative Schedule Fs and did not qualify for the PPP. Um, and so we'll have to watch that. So just pay attention to something that, that's at least being thrown out there as, as an interesting topic. So, okay, let's talk just quick about some of these other programs and how they're taxed. Pretty much everything else is going to be um, just the same as any other government payment that we're used to getting. So the, the MFP3, the CFAP1 and 2, the ARC or PLC, all of those are going to be taxable on your Schedule F or whatever business form you're normally filing. Um, that does include the $12,000 assistance from Nebraska if you got that. So Nebraska got money through the CARES Act that they distributed first to livestock producers um, and then opened that up to a lot more businesses. Um, but uh, there's nothing in the federal code that excludes that from income. So um, that one is also taxable income. The only thing that we could potentially have tax-free is that PPP loan. Um, remember that there's no deferral of any government payments allowed. The only one that you could potentially do would be if you're applying for the WIP programs. Um, be, but in order for those to be deferred, if and the same goes for crop insurance, uh, that deferral is allowed from um, during the year of production, the year of damage. So um, crop insurance that we received in January of 20 for the 2019 crop, we can't defer to 21, okay? Because it's only the year following production. So a lot of those WIP payments are being claimed on 18, 19 um, years. Uh, it would have to be damage done in 20 for them to be potentially de uh, deferred until 21. So again, only crop damage and you still have to meet those um, other tests that you're a cash basis taxpayer that you normally sell the year crop in the year following production, um, those sorts of things. So, okay, last thing, economic stimulus payments or the economic impact payments or the stimulus checks. Um, that's the $1,200 per person, $500 per child under the age of 18 or 17 that you received if your income um, fell into the guidelines. Uh, I didn't put that on the slide, but that's, um, it was between 75,000 and 90,000 if you're single or double that if you're married filing joint. If your income was higher than that, you didn't get a stimulus check. If it was in that range, it would have been prorated. These are also not taxable income. Okay? They, this is um, done through a 2020 tax credit and they just gave you an advance on that. Um, so don't include this in your income, but your tax preparer is going to need to know how much you received in order to prepare the 2020 tax return, okay? Because if you um, if you didn't get all of it and you would qualify in 20, uh, you can get the, the remainder. If you qualified in 19, but you don't qualify in 20, you don't have to pay it back. Um, the only time you have to pay back is if you received um, some of the significant amounts of money that went out to uh, deceased taxpayers. Those are the ones that you would have to pay back. But we do need to know about that. Final random payment that um, just to talk about quick is that Syngenta payment. Uh, if you were a part of that, uh, that is Schedule F income. It's just farm income. It's a replacement of income. Um, it's not a government payment, so don't include it with that. It's just going to be an other farm income is how we think it's going to be best to report that. So, And they are saying still that there's going to be a, another uh, remaining amount paid. They only paid 65% up front. Um, and slated the rest for late fall. So you can decide what late fall is as we have uh, 21 days left in the year to, to receive that, so. Okay, um, couple things on that operating losses. And again, I'm not gonna go into a lot of detail because this is going to be um, specific to a few number of people. But if one of the things that, um, again, probably makes my head spin as much as anybody else's, um, is they changed the net operating loss rule. So actually, so the first change happened with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2018, and they eliminated the ability to carry net operating losses back uh, for anybody other than farmers. Um, so farmers 
uh, after 2018 could carry back two years, nobody else could carry back at all. Um, the CARES Act basically put a hold on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act changes. Um, and that sounds simple, but, but it's not, of course. Um, because the rules with NOLs are that the default is that you have to carry them back or you make an election to carry it forward. So by the changes in the CARES Act, any losses in 18, 19, or, 18 or 19 um, that we already filed before this was done um, now automatically have to be carried back. Um, they did give us a provision that we can make the election to carry those forward on the 2020 return for both for 18, 19, and 20. But if you don't make that election, you have to carry it back. Um, and that might be a good thing uh, for a lot of farmers. Um, so it's, again, if you have those NOLs, it's something to discuss with your tax preparer because it's, it's important that we make that happen right. But if you think about those 2018 losses might be um, very beneficial to carry back into 2013 when uh, not only were incomes higher for farmers, um, but those tax brackets were higher in 2013 to 2017 before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Um, and so you might get a better benefit for those. So again, uh, just a, a discussion we need to have. The other business loss issue, and this is the way my head looks right now, so I don't know if anybody else is, is, uh, is spinning a little bit, but the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, again, that was the, what was passed in 2018, limited business losses to 250000 or 500000 if you're a married filing joint. The CARES Act suspended that again uh, through 2020. Um, so again, um, if you had those in 2018 or 19, uh, we're going to have to amend tax returns to handle those correctly now that the laws are different than how they were when we prepared those returns. Um, and again, that could be um, a good thing for how, um, how your income is done. So we want to make sure that, that we take a look at that and, and get that benefit. Okay. A couple things here um, from an individual standpoint. There was um, a provision that you could take out $100,000 um, out of your retirement plan with no penalty, even if you aren't 59 and a half. Okay. They can, you can actually spread the tax over three years. Um, and you can repay it over those three years and then, then not pay the tax. Um, distributions have to be made by December 31st uh, for that. That's when the deadline for that one's done. There are some qualifications. So you have to have been diagnosed with COVID, have a spouse or a dependent diagnosed with COVID, or have an adverse financial consequence. And so those things are going to have to be documented. So for, I know a lot of people um, feel or Feel they had the symptoms of COVID. If you don't have a test, we can't do a lot of these things. So um, maybe it's important um, if these things are going to be an impact to you and you haven't gotten COVID yet when it's your turn, um, go ahead and get the test so that we have the documentation for some of these provisions. And there's a bigger one coming later um, that might have more of an impact, but um, something to think about. Um, again, this is probably not going to be used a whole lot. Uh, this, there's going to be a lot of complication with that spreading it out over three years and getting it repaid and then amending to get the tax back uh, could cause some problems, but it is an option if this is something that you need to, to think about. Um, they also waive the required minimum distribution requirements for 2020. So if you're age 72 or above, you don't have to do the um, those requirement minimum distributions this year if you don't want to or if you haven't already. Um, and just for those who are scratching their head at the age 72, there was the SECURE Act passed last December about this time that changed that age or that age requirement from 70 and a half to 72. Okay, so um, some people will have actually had to have taken a distribution in eight in 19 and won't have to take another one here until 21 or 22. Okay, um, quick note on charitable donations. Another thing that in the CARES Act is they allowed um, individuals to have a $300 above the line deduction. So what that means is you can deduct $300 of charitable giving um, without itemizing. Okay, so a lot of people have stopped itemizing when they raise the standard deduction so much in the, in the uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Um, but this one we can still do even if you take the standard deduction. So uh, make sure that you turn in 
your receipts uh, that show that you have that $300. Again, it's not huge, but we take everything we can get. And if you're thinking about doing being very charitable, um, they also changed for 2020 only that you can deduct up to 100% of your AGI uh, for charitable donations. That has to be done on, on Schedule A, so itemized deductions. But, um, but um, uh, you can give up to 100% of your AGI this year. Uh, that is a cash um, deduction, so you can't use that if you're going to give appreciated stock or some of those kinds of things. So there's some rules to it. If you're interested, as always, talk to your tax preparer. Um, and then they did up the corporation's limit from 10% of taxable to 25. So um, allowing you to be more charitable this year and get a tax benefit for that. Okay, I had another poll in here, but I'm gonna skip it just because I wanna be able to answer questions. Um, and we're gonna talk a little bit here about these employer credits. Again, these are very complex and specific things that apply, um, but there are basically three different employer credits that they authorize to basically help um, producer or help employers um, pay for people to be home with COVID. Okay, so a um, couple, the combination of these three work together. Essentially, basically, what it would do is give um, reimbursement for wages paid for employees who had to stay home. So the sick and family leave, again, we've got to have documentation that they did have COVID. We can't just say lost the taste and smell, so we knew they had COVID. Uh, we have to have documentation of a test result in order to get these things. And I think um, they're going to be pretty specific on making sure that we have these things. Um, some of them, like the emergency family and medical leave at credit um, would cover uh, parents who had to stay home and help their kids uh, because the kids' schools were shut down. Um, be careful in this though, um, because uh, some of this is a reimbursement of, of uh, like 80%, some of it's 100%, they're all different. And so again, if this applies, it's really important that we um, uh, document that well and talk to your tax preparer and making sure these get filled out right. So these credits are claimed either on your 941 or your 943. Um, those are the forms that you um, file to show that you had your payroll taxes paid in. Uh, I believe the 941 is now up to a four-page form because of some of this stuff. Um, again, it got complicated, but it's important that if you had um, to pay for employees to stay home for whether they were sick, somebody they were caring for was sick with COVID, or their kids were out of school or daycare was closed, um, that we can get reimbursement uh, on those things. One thing to watch for is right now, you cannot use these credits if you use those same wages for PPP forgiveness. And so a lot of that um, doubling up, like when the schools were closed, would have been in the same time frame that we were using wages for PPP forgiveness. So uh, be aware of that. Um, but if it's you know something that they're home now, uh, this could certainly apply. Okay. And there is ways to get these, again, now we're close to the end of the year, probably not a big of a deal, but there are ways that we could get advances on those without waiting for the 943 to get filed. Okay, again, very complex um, and probably applies to a very small number of people. So we'll, we'll keep going. Um, again, I mentioned that January 15th estimate. Remember farmers have, we always think about farmers taxes are due March 1st, um, but the reason for that is just to get out of paying quarterly estimated taxes. Their tax returns still technically due April 15th like everybody else, but we file and pay by March 1st to avoid penalty um, by not having estimated taxes paid in. The other option that we have is to pay either 100% of last year's tax or two thirds of what we expect this year to be by January 15th. Then we have until April 15th to pay the remainder and file the return. Um, always always good in a, you know, if you've got investments and things that don't come until late February, um, but this year, probably more than anything, it allows us of more time again to find out what's going to happen for sure on those PPP answers, as well as what they're going to, you know, what potential changes there are for future taxation, uh, whether we think rates are going to go higher, uh, what kind of changes are they going to make next year that gives us a little bit more time. And from a preparation firm standpoint, um, it allows for some of those COVID bombs. You know, there's one, I mean, we discuss. Um, 
that you know one of our biggest risks right now is having a outbreak of COVID go through our office and have people who are unable to work. Um, and during these times when we have such tight deadlines. Um, so it gives a little bit more flexibility that way as well. One other thing on those credits um, that uh, the employee has to be unable to work. So for those of us who are able to work from home, but we had to be home, um, that uh, is not eligible for those credits. So um, again, a random thing, not part of the CARES Act or anything there, but we do have a new form 1099 NEC. So that's not employee comp. This has stems from a, um, a rule change a couple of years ago about the, the timing of when um, the 1099s have to be filed, uh, not necessarily issued to the employer from a producer standpoint, but how might, when we have to have them e-filed with the government. Um, so they separated off this non-employee comp. So this is any of the custom work that you have done, um, things like that. Um, and so this is gonna be on one form, and then we're just gonna have another form for rents um, crop insurance, government, area, other things. So there's a lot of things that go on this form, but I wanted to point it out just in the fact that um, you might be getting more 1099s than you did in the past, um, and they might just look a little different, uh, but going to be a little change this year. I always get lots of questions about depreciation. Um, that is, um, so I just wanted to give you a, another reminder that in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, um, we got permanent million dollar 179 index for inflation. So that's going to continue to roll up. It's more than a million right now, but um, that's going to continue to roll up. And we've got bonus depreciation through 2022. So we're starting to get to where we're looking at that deadline as a, as potentially going away. It will phase out between 23 and 27. So uh, from a farm standpoint, uh, we're really talking about machine sheds would be the things that we can use bonus for that we can't use 179. So if that's on your wish list, uh, the next couple of years would be a good time to get that done. All right. And one more poll question I'm going to skip through here. But um, one other thing you might think about, again, is just a, if your crystal ball is clearer than mine, um, I would love to know what you think, um, what's going to happen for tax rates. But with the sheer amount of money that the government has issued out in this last year as from the between the CARES Act and some of the others, um, thoughts of tax increases um, are probably likely. So one thing you might think about in 20 is recognizing more income why we have these really low rates, um, even though it's a larger amount, but it would be better than maybe what we have paying forward. And then the last tip I have for you is to maybe think about paying your taxes electronically and um, not necessarily, I mean, everybody's e-filing, those kinds of things, but actually having the taxes either taken out of your account with the tax return or paying them with these um, systems, both Nebraska and IRS have them set up. And um, one of the things that's going on with IRS right now is they shut down like everybody else did. And of course, during the filing season, so they had literally truckloads of mail sitting outside all their service centers. And I, we've received lots of notices of um, where they received the tax return, but not the check and things just got messed up. So their best recommendation is not to send checks and to avoid the mail as much as possible. Um, so if you're gonna pay those taxes, you know this is uh, certainly something to consider so that we have a exact date of when those were sent um, and we can set them up so that they come out on the due date of your returns. You don't have to pay early, um, but just something to think about. So, all right, not a lot of time left here, but Austin, do we have questions that uh, I can answer? Yeah, so going back to the beginning of the conversation when we first got started, we had a question come in under the Small Business Association Debt Relief Program, up to six months, SAB loan payments were forgiven. Are those forgiven payments taxable income? Hmm. I don't uh, know that off the top of my head. My first response would be yes. Um, any normal, any debt forgiveness is taxable. Um, and just because I spend all my life working with farmers and normally we don't get SBA. So most farmers don't have SBA loans because they have FSA loans. Um, I don't know that answer off the top of my head. Um, I would have to look that up. My gut would say yes. 
we had another question come in dealing with the charitable contribution she brought up a little bit ago. Um, is the $300 deduction per taxpayer or per tax return? Per, per tax return, actually. So yeah, single gets 300, married, fine, and joint gets 300. If anybody has more questions, definitely feel free to type them in the chat or in the Q&A and we're, we're open to answering more. We've got one. This is the first year I've owned slash inherited farmland. Any key items I should collect for my CPA? Um, you know, I think just general um, business, you know, we, we need income and expenses. They're going to need to know uh, if there was any assets on that farm ground um, so that they can get that on depreciation. They would need to know what values were placed on those assets. Um, through the estate. So if there was a pivot or a well, uh, they would need those values. Um, so if you have a copy of the estate tax uh, return, that would be important. Uh, if there was no estate tax return filed, should have been a county inheritance return um, ref, uh, filed and, and you can use those values. Okay. Um, will the W-2s have reconciliation requirements for the PPP forgiven amount? Um, I don't think there's anything in the 943s or the 941s that have anything to do with PPP. Um, you're going to have to prove wages um, on the PPP forgiveness application if um, if your loan is more than 50,000. Right now, the application for loans less than 50,000, they, they call it the simple form. Um, it pretty much certifies you say that you did what you were supposed to, and then you just have to have the documentation available for um, random checks. Um, but I don't think there's going to be anything on the 943s or the W-2s that have anything to do with PPP. Okay. Are the Small Business Association EIDL loans up to 150000 considered taxable income? So, so the we talked about the idle advances that you could get, but um, in addition to those advances, you could actually also qualify for an idle loan. Those loans are actually loans. And um, so they're not taxable income. You're gonna have to repay those. Uh, they have a low interest rate and a long term to pay those back. So they're kind of a nice cash flow um, increase, but those are loans and, um, and should be treated the same way. So no taxable there, just the advance part. We've got, it might be unrelated, but we've got for beginning farmers, is there a minimum they have to have on a schedule F to qualify? Um, long term, I have been told that they have to have three years of schedule F in order to apply for the beginning farm loan slash programs. Um, I, I'm not, excuse me, not positive on F. I assume these are FSA loans that we're talking about. Um, I think it's just schedule F. It doesn't have to be a certain um, amount of income. Um, they just have to show. So even if you're filing Schedule Fs for an FFA project or a 4-H project, something like that, those would qualify. So I don't think that there's any minimum requirement for that. These are great questions coming in. If you got more, keep firing them off and we'll go through them. Yeah, I think, Austin, I think one of the most important things we can get out of this is, is the importance of doing tax planning at this time. Um, you know, a lot of uh, people feel like if incomes are down, um, it's we don't need to do tax planning. Um, but every year, regardless, there's got to be so many things that um, that are coming up. But this year, there's just so many unknowns and so much of the government payments. And, and it's certainly gonna be important that we get a handle on, on where you're at and making sure that we take advantage of, of everything we've got, so. I've got a question. My accountant told me the $1,200 stimulus check might need to be paid back by income levels this year. Is this correct? Actually, no. So um, I guess the this one was set up as a best of all worlds 
um, rule. We don't get those very often with IRS or with uh, with taxes. But if you received one based off of 18 or 19 because you qualified then and your income is high in 20, uh, you do not have to pay it back. Uh, but if you didn't qualify in 19 and your income is lower in 20, you'll get the credit. So we couldn't get the best way. Like I said, the only one that you have to pay back is if you received one for a deceased taxpayer. And there's some rules on that. IRS's website has a really great informative um, page on their economic uh, payments, economic stimulus payments. And um, they'll give you the instructions both on, on who would have to pay that back and um, how to go about, excuse me, how to go about doing that. Uh, but that would be the only situation where you'd be asked to pay it back. Well, if you got more questions, definitely get them typed in the chat and we'll get them answered. Um, for everybody else, thank you everyone for joining us today. A recording of this webinar will be posted at farm.unl.edu, where you can also register for upcoming webinars. As a reminder, check farm.unl.edu for a schedule of more webinars in this series, focusing on farm and ranch management issues relevant to Nebraskans. The series wraps up next week on Thursday at noon with an update on farm programs and ag policy heading into 2021. Um, after the program, you will receive a short 30-second survey in your email, and we want to really or say we really appreciate your feedback on today's webinar and your input into future sessions. Thanks again for joining us. This has been a special Nebraska FarmCast presentation of Extension Farm and Ranch Management in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision making, visit farm.unl.edu.